0: Hello, everybody. Um, I'm so pumped you guys are here. I mean, you think about it, you could be doing anything right now and you're here. And I think that's honestly, it's awesome. So um, I appreciate that. And uh, I got to be honest, it's encouraging to see men who are willing to put that time aside, come here. Um, I know you guys were promised this great speaker. Well, that guy canceled and somebody else canceled. And I kind of was it. So um, it's kind of, I mean, the doors aren't locked, I don't think. So hopefully it won't be too terrible. Uh, but like uh, Kevin said, my name is Ryan Spees. I've been here at Underwood for a little over a year now. Um, God called my family and I out of California. Um, come on. Come on. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, we considered ourselves political refugees for quite some time, but now we're home. Um, so I'm, I'm married. My wife's name is Valerie. Um, her and I have been married for about 15 years now. She's not here, so I don't have to get the date exact right. Um, I do know it's almost 20 that we've been together. Um, And I'm pretty sure her favorite hobby is taking care of me. She has this shirt now that says, um, raising my husband is exhausting. Um, So hopefully some of you can relate to that, and maybe not. Um, I have four kids who are all um, active here in in our church and our child's program. And real quick, can we acknowledge our child's program? Like, how many of us have got kids in the children's program here? I mean, it's awesome, right? Um, I mean, it truly is amazing to see my five-year-old come home and teach me. I mean, it's, it's such a blessing. So my oldest is Temperance. She's 12. Um, she's a cheerleader. We got Dustin, who's nine. He's into football and boxing and baseball. We're just getting into some hunting this year, which has been uh, interesting. He was so sad. We were out there about an hour. He's like, "Dad, we're not going to get. One. We better go home." He was just so devastated. Then we've got uh, I got my son Silas, who's um, I mean, he's kind of a jack of all trades. Cub Scouts, running baseball. He's excited about squirrel hunting. Now he sees squirrels and he's like, "Poof!" So he's pretty pumped on that. And I have a five-year-old, Ezra, who is uh, Cub Scouts baseball. And dude, the kid's a monster for his age, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, I'm hoping some football is in his uh, future. We'll see. A dad can hope, right? Um, So before we get started, a few housekeeping items. Have a little bit of fun here. Um, I will confess, like, I like to talk. Often I get going. Often I will uh, chase the rabbit a little bit. So to kind of prevent a couple things tonight, um, we're going to put some preventative measures in place, right? God's a God of order, not of chaos. So we're going to put some things in order here to kind of keep that in order. So uh, a little bit of fun here. Um, Lee, could you come up real quick? Give Lee a hand. I mean, he's a good guy, right? All right. So Lee, um, I have a favor of you tonight. If at any point in time, I begin to chase the rabbit to Alice in Wonderland, I talk too fast, something's off. I just need you to take this here Nerf gun. I need you to shoot me with it. OK? And it's already loaded. Um, you got four shots. That's the Fortnite gun with the scope. So I just need you to do that. And um, frankly, if you shoot me and it's valid, you're going to gain some you know, good standing among your brethren, which is always a good thing. <laughs> We're on it already. This is perfect. Um, I'll keep that one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind helping me out with that today, like genuinely, if I get to rambling, Feel free to fire one off. We're just having a good time, too. So, Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> Brother David, would you come up here real quick, please? Um, as the worship leader, I feel like there's no one more qualified to kind of keep order around here. So um, if at any point in time things start to get disorderly, we get some rowdy people, I've got you the disruptor. Oh, Okay, so the disruptor should take care of that disruptor. Go ahead and... Um, Whatever you need to do to whoever's acting out would be perfect. And if you wouldn't mind, you just stand right there for me. Okay, okay. appreciate it. Um, so my next kind of confession is I am by no means like a trained theologian or like biblical scholar. And when you stand up here at a pulpit, like I take that very seriously, right? Because I'm going to share my testimony tonight and I'm going to share a little bit what God's put on my heart. But at the end of the day, it's a serious thing to share when, you know, about God and things like that. It shouldn't be taken lightly. And one of the things that I don't want to happen because I'm not a trained theologian is to perhaps quote scripture wrong or anything like that lest I lead anybody astray and then someone's got to fix it. So in the interest of that, Brother Doug, would you come up here please real quick? Um, you know, Brother Doug, God has called you to lead this church and, um, I, I, and you're amazing at that you are doing and to ensure that only biblical truth is shared tonight, Okay. I have slides for that, but thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So, <laughs> so because you've got the big task, <laughs> so Brother Doug, because you've got the big task of making sure that, okay, this is for you tonight, all right? So Brother Doug, I genuinely, the, the thing though, I, I will admit I cheat a little bit because those whistle when they come out, so I'll be good. But at any point in time, if uh, you know, anything is unbiblical, it is. There's, the whole clip is good to go. You should be able to, you know, rack the bolt and... Hey, hang out of here for a second, Brother Doug, if you don't mind. Yes. So that, that's your responsibility. Um, <laughs> Brother Trey? Brother Trey, would you come on up here real quick? Where's Brother Trey? All right. Is he coming? Got to make the long journey. <laughs> so, Brother Trey, given that you are probably the... Without... Not probably. Without doubt, the best hunter on the pastoral staff. And given your position, yeah, you know, <laughs> What I, need to, what I need you to do is I'm going to give you some. And if Brother Doug misses something, okay, I need you to not shoot me, but I need you to shoot Brother Doug. So that way Brother Doug will know the error of his ways, and then Brother Doug will then in turn shoot me, and we can all be edified in that. And so kind of in the spirit of like a true hunter, I got you something with a lot of rounds. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? You just pump and go. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> now, hang out for a second up here. Now, Matt. Come on up, Matt. So Matt, you are you are the last line of defense. Right? You are the last line of defense. And when I when I was considering the last line of defense, I had to find something that was truly fitting for both you and the last line of defense. So, Matt, this is for you. That's that's for you. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's for you. Now, I want you to be careful with that. You get one shot, you just pull the bottom. Um, I did notice today that uh, the shot, the one round, was actually chewed on by the dog, so there's no guarantees. <laughs> <I cry. laughs> All right. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. You guys, but seriously, if you need to shoot somebody, uh, just avoid the moneymaker. That's the, that's the. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to have some fun real quick. So um, <laughs> so uh, tonight, I'm going to share my testimony and um, then uh, do a little quick lesson. As you kind of saw from the little video, um, iron sharpens iron is kind of our theme tonight. And I was asked to kind of share both my testimony and then something that I'd really got out of Manchur. So the last eight weeks has been uh, commitment and passion. That's been the last eight weeks. That's going to be kind of our focus. So um, my testimony. Here we go with this. So... Um, I was introduced to Christianity in high school um, by a girl that I was dating. And if I'm honest, it was not the Lord I was chasing with this girl. But God used that to plant seeds. And uh, at the end of high school, I definitely had some religious beliefs that I kind of like tried to loosely hold to. Um, I found when I went to college, though, that any semblance of those religious beliefs, they were, they were quickly gone. Um, and I, I abandoned them for very selfish endeavors. And uh, we, I lived in San Francisco, and it was interesting to kind of live in that type of city, in that type of environment. I'd been exposed to the Bible. I knew God was real, but if I'm honest about it, I just didn't care. That, that's, that's the truth behind it, right? So I graduated college from the University of San Francisco. My future wife and I were living together, and I had been riding motorcycles since I was about 19 years old, and this was kind of a significant happenstance because my future father-in-law, he was a member of a motorcycle club. Um, some people would call them a motorcycle gang. So that was kind of my instant in with this guy. Um, you know, it's always good when the dad likes you when you're dating his daughter, right? And um, I found myself at 19 hanging out with this club, and by 20 I was prospecting with the club. That's kind of the joining process. And as soon as I turned 21, I was um, voted in as a full-patch member of a club called the Booze Fighters Motorcycle Club. And their motto was a drinking club with a motorcycle problem. Um, I was definitely good at that drinking part, and unfortunately, or fortunately in my life, the fighter part was an unfortunate skill that I'd also become um, somewhat good at. And uh, for those next six years, I kind of rose in ranks in that club. I went from uh, Sergeant-at-Arms to Master Sergeant-at-Arms, third in charge of the club, to National Sergeant-at-Arms. Sergeant-at-Arms is kind of the guy that regulates the rules. And um, I spent, man, most of my time... Um, basically uh, drinking, writing, and regulating rules in the seven Western states. That was kind of my my purpose in my life. And I was committed to that purpose, I mean, for sure. And then um, eventually there became, we'll just call it a friendly disagreement, and um, I departed from that club. And for better or worse, my um, kind of reputation preceded me, and there was a local one-percenter club that kind of had heard about me, and one-percenter club are those clubs that exist outside of the laws. So they kind of have their own little laws that they abide by, which are not laws that Sam would go enforce. we'll say that. And uh, they recruited me, and this, co- this club was called Hellbent, and their slogan was Hellbents for Glory, which we pa- proudly wore on our vests as a patch. And I was asked to join, skip some of the steps because of my uh, past, and I became a full uh, probationary member, and then not long after that, I became a full patch member. And for the next year, my commitment and passion for that club just deepened as I became more and more entrenched in drugs and violence. And um, as time went on, both those things went on, increasing in intensity. And it was not too long that those things caught the attention of uh, the largest and most notorious motorcycle club in the world, and they were interested in me. That's just, I mean, from a worldly perspective, that felt, that felt pretty good, if I'm honest with you about it. Um, so I'll be upfront here. Um, there is real danger in using their name. It's not my name to use anymore. So with that being said, I'm not going to use their name. But if you wanted to know them, you could simply Google world's largest motorcycle gang and that search will yield you your answer. But um, I left Hellbent as I was asked to join and a bunch of us left and we jumped at the chance to join this motorcycle club or motorcycle gang, I'm still used to calling it a club. And the motorcycle world really is its own little culture. Um, There are about six clubs in our country that would be considered like major league baseball, if you will. Every other club is like AAA or minor leagues. Um, so when you jump from kind of that minor league to that major league, that kind of drug use and violence that I was previously spoke about, that goes with it. And so that became even a more part of my life. Um, I'm ashamed to say that, I mean, I missed a lot of my kids' um, youth. I missed a lot, lot of... Uh, my wife and my important stuff, my sister's graduations, because I was very committed to that club. And about six months in, um, the reality of that life uh, set in, and I found myself being charged with, I think the first time was three or four felonies. Um, One of the members and I were on our way to an event, and we were pulled over, and there was an unregistered, loaded, uh, concealed firearm in the vehicle, a ghost gun. And in California, anything gun is bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. So I um, found myself in jail, got bailed out. Um, the expectation was that I would just take that on because I was still prospecting. But because of how I handled that situation, because of my commitment and passion to that club, that worldly thing, and my willingness to sacrifice really whatever it took, um, I was made a full member of that club. Three months later, I was involved in an altercation with a few other guys, and I was arrested again and charged with, um, frankly, more felonies that I can count unless I go through court documents, which Honestly, it's a little bit painful to go and sit and do. But what I do very clearly recall was sitting in jail and reading the charges, doing some math, and realizing that if convicted, I was going to do 28 years, and I was going to have two strikes. I remember that so vividly. In California, with their strike thing, if you go into a prison with two strikes, consider that a life sentence, because anything that you do is a strike. Three strikes, you're out, which means you ain't coming out. That was a very... um, Sobering thing, but here's where it got really interesting. I was some of you guys are like it's already interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was assigned a bunk with this guy named Tommy Gunn, and um, Tommy Gunn was covered in head to toe with um, Viking tattoos and other to- tat- like Nordic images and other symbols associated with white power and racism. Um, Tommy was doing life for double murder. Super nice guy, actually. Um, Odd to say that, right? But there was something really weird. <laughs> this going to sound funny to say to but there was something really weird about Tommy when I met him and stuff like that. He's very welcoming and all that, which was kind of common in jail. Um, but he seemed happy and hopeful. I'm like, dude, how are you happy and hopeful doing life for double murder? It doesn't make sense to me. And... Uh, one day, Tommy stands up, and he smacks my bed with his hand, and he says, you coming with me? And I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, now, long story short, the club I was with, they had worked things out with some of the prison gangs. So like there was not this expectation that I had to participate in the, in the prison politics and the white power things and stuff like that. So I was curious as to why he was asking me if I was coming with him so adamantly. And I remember looking at him being like, um, no. And he's like, well, have it your way. I remember going, oh, great, like, what is happening, about to happen? And Tommy turns around and does something that blew my mind. He turns around to the whole dorm, and he goes, Bible study in 10 minutes! Bible study at the table in 10 minutes! And I was floored. I was like, what? <laughs> this makes no sense to me. And after they had their Bible study, and I kind of observed it from afar at that point, um, I found it was a regular occurrence, and one day, Tommy was kind of feeding me some, some stuff from the low bunk, and he handed me up a daily bread. You guys are all familiar with the daily bread, that little book? And he handed me the daily bread, and, I was, and he, was, he was tricking me because he was handing me broccoli covered with cheese. And when you're in jail, fresh vegetables are hard to come by. You usually you got to trade with the guy who's a diabetic to get his vegetables. And you trade him candy to get the vegetables because they don't give you the vegetables, right? So it was like I was just reaching for whatever dude was handing me. I was excited. Then it was a daily bread. And I remember looking over and I'm like, no, thank you. And he's like, why not? And I said, I am pretty sure that will burn me if I touch that. And he said, just put it under your pillow. And so I I did. And that's what got crazy because I found myself reaching for it like the next day, that day, again and again and again. Like I couldn't get enough of this little daily bread book. That little book was alive. And you know, it's like by the day, and it's just like a little read. But well, when you're in jail, there's a lot to do. So I remember going, okay, doing the math. Like, am I going to be here in like six months? Hopefully not. So I would skip ahead within the book to read so I wouldn't have to read twice. Like, I was just, in, just absolutely enamored with this little book. So I was bailed out not long after. And I went to my wife, and I said, I think we need to go to church, and I think we need to look into knowing this Jesus guy. And I, she looked at me, and it makes me... Tear up a little bit thinking about it. She almost cried, and uh, she let me know that her Temperance and Dustin had actually been going to church um, without me knowing because I was gone so much. Um, So it's amazing because that seed that had been planted in high school, where I wasn't chasing God, was beginning to sprout. Now while I was out on bail, we were uh, raided by the local sheriff and the FBI, um, kicked out of our house by the landlord, moved into my parents' basement. And from my parents' basement, we began to look for a church. So we found a local church, and um, in the biker world, you don't hide anything, right? So you're very boisterous, and you're very like, this is who I am. And so I was like, well, we're going to test these Christian guys out. So I remember going to the church office, and I was like, I need to make a meeting with the pastor. They're like, why? I was like, I want to see if this is the right church for us to join. And they were like, okay. So I sat down with this pastor. His name was Pastor Josh. And I mean, I spilled my sins out to that man. Like, I had never spilled out my sins before. And um, it was odd when I was doing that because he didn't have this look of fear like I was used to when I talked about my past. He didn't have this look of, like, what are you doing? He just had this look of love. And it was really weird. So I remember at the end of spilling everything, like, I looked at him, and I kind of like, so what do you think about all that? And Josh just looked at me. I remember it so well, he just said, welcome home. And um, it was not long after that that I walked that aisle, and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I was baptized not long after that. And um, I'm not going to lie and say the next two years of my life um, weren't a bit were like a bed of roses. I'm not going to say I didn't have struggles. Like I was still fighting my cases. I fought those cases for like four years. And also, I was still a member of the club. That was a weird dynamic, right? And um, it's amazing how God will use unsaved people in our lives to speak into our lives, and that's something I think we often forget. And my club president knew I was going to church, and one day he, he sat me down, and he lovingly looked at me because he knew I was going to church, and knew I was, I, was, you know, I was committing to something else other than the club, and he looked at me, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, Ryan, you cannot serve two masters. He said, if you want to leave the club, you need to come up here and state your piece. So that's a nerve-wracking thing to do. Um, so my dad and I—I um, I know 100% protected by God. We went up to that clubhouse. I went into that members' room by myself. Um, I say by myself, but I was not alone, right? Because um, God was there with me. And I told my charter that I was leaving because I wanted to serve and follow Jesus. To my shock—which shouldn't be shock—they were all supportive, and I was the first member of that charter to walk away in good standing. Not to get in the details, but bad standing's bad. In um, those type of clubs. And I walked away with my property, my body, and my life, which doesn't always happen when you leave those clubs. And men, God is still in the business of protecting his people in the lion's den. As I walked into that lion's den, I walked out. So my case closed, and um, what could have been a 28-year sentence, the Lord in such a gracious way uh, turned it into six months at halftime, which turned into a month for good behavior. And God actually got me out into a program where I could work off my jail time, be with my family and not be in jail. And he got me into a program at a place called the Jesus Center. Right? Only God, right? You know, only God protects like that. Like, even when I didn't deserve that, like some of those felonies, I'll, I can stand here and say like they, they, were, they were reaching, but most of them, I was, I was guilty as charged. I'm honest with you. I didn't deserve any of that grace, and even um, when I was doing my 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 first the the, the sentence, um, God still showed grace in there because this this Bible that I that I have here. This Bible was actually sent to me by my wife while I was um, locked up because you couldn't bring stuff in, so she, she mailed it to me. And when I got it, um, I remember going to the uh, the keyholder, who's kind of like the, the the jail, the inmate that like runs the pod. And I was like, um, I don't know if this was the best way to try to petition that I was going to start a Bible study, but it was kind of what I knew. And like I said, I'm not saying here, I, was I remember walking up to the dude, and I said, Cecil, so check it out. I'm going to run a Bible study. It's going to be all races. I'm going to do it at the wide-only table. And if you got a problem with it, we're going to go to the drain, the drain where there was no cameras. And I said, I don't know if that was the best way to petition for a Bible study, but I knew I could at least relate like that. And so that was what I did. And um, even then, God protected me, and Cecil went, oh, okay. So I was able to hold Bible studies in these small groups with all the races, at the whites only table. Um, And God just just used all of those bad things that I had done for his glory and for his benefit, even when I didn't deserve it. Because if you are a believer, you are free. Can I get an amen to that? Now, my story is still continuing. I am still a work in progress, but I am redeemed. I am saved. And all that stuff is behind me. And that is an awesome thing to stand up here and say. Now, each one of us has our own story, right? We all have our own trip to redemption. And I would argue that no one's individual testimony is more powerful than, say, another's. Just different people relate to different people's testimonies differently. And that's what's so awesome about God and how he works in our individual lives. Is he can use my testimony to reach somebody that you guys maybe would never reach. Likewise, he can use your guys' testimony to reach somebody that I would never be able to relate to. And that is the amazingness of God. And the true power of any testimony is in the miracle and the amount of passion and commitment God has for us. That's where the true power is. Sending his only son, never abandoning us. I mean, the list goes on and on. The power is in the redemption. It's in the saving grace of God, the power of Jesus. Now, regardless of the story, I know many of us who have gone on that journey, we all at some point, and even maybe now you struggle with that, we sit back and we ask ourselves questions like, why did I have to get to that point to seek God, right? Like, why do I seek the things of the world like we do? And this leads us our quick, or to my quick message tonight, which um, I'll have a couple slides up here, and I've I've called it um, God the Blacksmith. Now, men, we were created to serve, we were created to have a passion, we were created to commit ourselves to something, and this leaves us two real paths with that purpose in mind, commit and have passion for the things of the world, or commit and have passion for the things of God. One path is easy and wide, but deceptively leads to destruction. The other appears hard and narrow, but it clearly leads to eternal life and true joy. Now, we are all passionate about something. Could be Auburn or Rolltide. Could be Ford or Chevy. Could be Broadhead or Expandables. Could be Sig versus Glock. Like, we see these things up here, and it devotes and it instills in us a passion and an opinion, I promise you. And I don't have an honorable mention slide, so that's really it. Um, now, none of these things are bad and of themselves by any means. Like, we should enjoy the gifts of God. And I have a gifts of God slide. We should enjoy those gifts of God. Right? We, we absolutely should, right? I was really expecting to get shot there, so this is a good, this is going good. This, I, I was really expecting to see that big sniper rifle come out because Old Miss ain't up there. and we got some Auburn fans. But okay, we're good. I got another Auburn fan over there, so anyway. (laughs) But none of these things are bad and of themselves, right? Like, we should enjoy the gifts of God. But the question we should ask ourselves, the question I ask myself, is what place do they hold in our heart? What place do they hold in my heart? And that's the real reflection question. Now, there were patches in the motorcycle club world um, that could be earned. They would be worn proudly as a testament and statement to the commission and passion for the club. In my case, some of the patches were Warrior, Blue-Eyed Devil, Big Pimpin', Hellbilly, Filthy Few, War, 666, even a Purple Heart. But there was one patch that always caught my attention, as it was a statement of unprecedented passion and and commitment. To earn it was rare, and it could only be awarded to another club member by a current club member who had the patch. And that patch read, Dog Soldier. And guys who wore this patch sent a message to all those who read it. So what is a dog soldier, you might ask? Well, a dog soldier were the most powerful and the militants of the Native American tribe of the Cheyenne. Uh, Historian Richard S. Grimes writes, Dog soldiers preferred to respond to expansionism with raids and battles. The dog soldiers attracted all those who were unequivocally hostile to the encroachments and and who would choose war as the means to repulse the invasion of the Indian country. Named after a Cheyenne legend in which dogs transformed into fierce figures or fighters, the most elite dog soldiers wore what were called dog ropes, which were sashes made of buffalo skin and with porcupine quills, feathers and beads. And during battle, the soldier would stake his dog rope to the ground and fight from that location through the end of the battle. He could not leave the site until the battle was over or a fellow soldier had unpinned his sash. That is a powerful Commitment. And that kind of commitment required a special passion for the club or for the world. Now, the last eight weeks of Man Church, we have addressed how our commitment to Christ should look. And frankly, man, and this is uh, me calling myself out too, our commitment to Christ should make the commitment that those dog soldiers had to their nation and to each other look like minor leagues baseball. It should make that commitment look like it's Nothing. So my question is, for myself and us, is does it? Does our commitment and passion for Christ come first and foremost? Now, undoubtedly, when some of you may have heard that story of the dog soldier, you think to yourself, wow, that's commitment. Men, might I suggest that the world should hear our story and see our commitment and say, wow, as well? Should not our commitment and passion to pursue the things of Christ and sharpen each other make us reflect on the dog soldier and say to the world, that ain't nothing, You've seen the commitment to my brothers in Christ. Tonight, I want to focus on one small aspect of this commitment and passion. I want to focus on what I believe to be a very underutilized resource that God has given us, a resource that God wants us to take advantage of. And that resource is right here in this room. It's each other. Proverbs 27, 17, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Have anybody in here ever practiced blacksmithing? Anybody ever done that? I personally have not, but I have watched every episode of Netflix's Forged in Fire, so I'm darn near an expert, is what I say. (laughs) It's a cool show, though, right? And um, I think the writer of Proverbs 17 probably had a decent understanding of that metalworking, if I'm honest with you, because the process of forging, the process of sanctification, that analogy, I think, plays out really well. In our lives. And my hope is to kind of illustrate that. So let's take a look at this process. Step one requires some sort of metal. Now, there's a whole bunch of different types of metal. And guess what? Consider yourselves the metal, right? There's a whole bunch of different types of you. And every metal has a different purpose in mind, it has a different property that allows that metal to be used for its intended good. Hammered, sword, springs, chainmail right, copper, all of those metals have a different function. You wouldn't take copper and use it to smash something. You would take copper and use it for a conduit or something like that, right? But each tool forged from metal starts out not as it should be, right? It starts out not as it should be. Now, maybe you identify as the lump of iron or the rusty ore. Maybe you're the rusty barbed wire because you allowed the world to shape you first and we got to get some of that off, right? Maybe the bent railroad spike. Either way, you and I are in need of refinement and shaping. Much like Isaiah noted in 64.8, but now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, and all we are the work of your hand. I think the awesome thing about blacksmithing is the process. God, much like the potter, gets to be our blacksmith. But the neat thing is, is the blacksmith or God gets to choose the tools he uses to shape that iron. He gets to use us men as the tools, if you will, to shape each other. We get to assist God in his shaping of that unrefined iron or that, that person that's around us. We get to assist God in the sharpening of each other but only if we are committed and we have a passion for God first. Step two is the hammering process. Men, God the blacksmith stands over you, that iron object, and he gets to stop and he gets to look around for a willing person, a willing tool, if you will, to use in that forging process. He may look over and see Sam the hammer, who has laid himself at the foot of the Lord saying, use me, Father, like I'm happy to beat some sense into him. He, he gets to use Doug the Forge, who says, Lord, please use me to heat them up so they may be more malleable for you. Or Larry, perhaps the grinder, who says, Lord, I'm willing to cause some loving sparks to fly as we sharpen them. Or Kevin, the vice grips, let's all say Kevin has got the best forearms and biceps in the business, we can agree to that, right? Who says, Lord, like, I'll hold them down for you. Or Pete, the wire bristle brush, who says, Lord, use me to scrape away that hammer scale. Now, Brantley, I have you down as the leather apron, but every time I typed in good looking leather apron, it just came up with your picture, and I didn't want anybody to be distracted. So otherwise, you would have been up here as the leather apron. Um, that just looks good. I'm not going to lie, it just looks good. <laughs> now, I know this is simple, like analogies, and I apologize if it is, but guess what, men? Like, we get to be used by God. We get to be used to shape each other. We get to use, or to be used, Not by the power of our own, but by the power of the omnipotent one, the power of the Creator. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 tells us, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And guess what? Like, I'm sure. That iron ore that's being refined and getting hammered on, like, it ain't happy. Like, it can't feel good to be hammered on, right? It can't feel good as you're, it's, i say it feel good, probably really uncomfortable, you know, as you're smashed and stretched into shape. Sparks are going to fly. Perhaps even the tool that the Lord is using, chips a little bit. But men, we need each other, whether we like it or not. If we need some refinement, so be it. We should be willing to be used to be that hammer for God to help kind of, I mean, for lack of a better term, beat on each other a little bit, right? But with the guidance of God, of course. Now, the amazing thing is, like, God doesn't need to use us. He chooses to use us if we're willing. And that's an amazing thing to me. It's such a simple thing to think about. The creator of all that is here, the beginning, the end, he sat down at that blacksmithing table and saw you, the iron ore, and went... I'm going to choose to use you and you and you to help forge this this iron into shape. And that's amazing to think about. Step three, the quenching. Finally, when we're in the shape God wants us, the final process is the quenching, where we are dipped in the oil. And frankly, how the metal reacts to this process is a big part to how good of a job those tools did in forging and shaping that metal making sure that all the impurities were burned out of it so that it doesn't bend and warp, doesn't crack. But the cool thing about blacksmithing is that if it comes out bent, guess what you can do with that metal again? You can heat it back up, you can scrape it back off, and you can dump it back into that tank. And that's kind of representative, I know, my life for sure, where I know I've been quenched, come out bent, (laughs) had to get hammered on a little bit, and then dunked back in. And I love this quote from Ann Bradstreet. Who wrote, iron till it be thoroughly heated is incapable to be wrought. So God sees good to cast some men into the furnace of affliction and then beats on them, beats them on his anvil until what frame he pleases. That's comforting to me, honestly. Because that tells me that God still cares if I'm not the way he wants me to be. It means God doesn't abandon me because I've screwed up. God comes back and is willing to take me and beat on me some more. And I've been very grateful in my life for that iron rod and that shepherd's staff. I don't know about you guys. Iron sharpening iron is a process, my brothers. It is a process we all get to participate in with God. It is a process that yields beautiful items. It is a process that yields beautiful things. It's a process that yields and produces us. But only if we are passionate about the things of God, Only if we are passionate about being there for each other, only if we have the willingness to sharpen and even harder sometimes be sharpened, and only if we are committed to the things of God, only if we are committed to being there for each other, and only if we are having the willingness to be the tool used by God the blacksmith. So men, let's be iron. Just like those dog soldiers staked themselves to the ground and committed to live and die bound to a standard, let's make those dog soldiers and their commitment look not just like minor league baseball or AAA, let's make it look like T ball. Let's stake ourselves to the principle and standards of God. Let's show the world a passion and the commitment to our Creator that they look at us and they say, I want some of that. I have seen a lot of brotherhoods and been a part of a lot of brotherhoods most of my adult life, but none like this brotherhood of Christ. None like the men in my group, the men in my class. It's been an amazing, amazing thing for me. So my challenge is, as men, let's get beyond our groups. Let's pray for each other. Let's commit to meeting like a new man of Underwood each week. Let's be vulnerable, and we all hate that word as men, right? Vulnerable, it's like, ugh. Um, but let's be vulnerable in terms of asking for help when we need it. Let's be open about asking others how we can serve them. Let's create deeper fellowship amongst the men, specifically, here at Underwood. And let's, in love, hold each other accountable. Like the video touched on, like we were not meant to walk alone. Yes, we walk with God, certainly we walk with Jesus, but I believe God does nothing without intention and nothing by accident. You are all sitting here because God called you to. That is not an accident. So real quick, to be uncomfortable, look around men. Look around at each other. Each man you see here is one God has called you and I to sharpen or one God has called to be sharpened, strengthened, and refined. Men, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A soldier refrains from entangling himself in civilian affairs in order to please the one who enlisted him. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David as proclaimed by my gospel, for which I suffered to the extent of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, so that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And speaking of that salvation, if you are here tonight and you do not know God, you do not know the power of Jesus and the cross, know this Jesus loves you. He stepped down from his throne, he lived a sinless life, he bore your sins, he bore my sins, he died on the cross. And he rose again, also you could be with him forever. The creator of this world, the best blacksmith there ever is, ever will be, he died for you, he died for me, and he died for us all. I don't care, I mean, honestly, I don't care how worthless of a piece of metal you might feel you are. God can and he will cleanse you, refine you shape you, and save you. And all you must do is say, yes, Lord. That is it. Nothing you can do earns it from him. That part's done. Just say, yes, Lord. And if that is you today, do not leave without speaking to another man in this room. I beg you.